Alan Kring Productions, in association with the Emergent Light Studio, presents the Illinois State Collegiate Compendium, Academic Lectures in Business and Economics. This is Business Finance, FIL 240 for Spring Semester 2023. Today, cost of capital. Now this will be a short lecture, of course, obviously because of the um, quiz that you're having today. But the topic itself is very much a mathy kind of thing. But it is formula-driven math. It's almost so formula-driven that Excel is overkill, for overkill. However, it looks complicated when you first talk about it. When you first see it, this is, it looks like a really tough subject. But once you get past that conceptual uh, little shocking thing, it's not bad at all. But like I said, it's, it's almost like I, you see me use my calculator for this, although there, I shouldn't say that. There is a part of it where Excel has a very cool thing. Um, it specifically have in your um, those of you who've had the Wall Street prep course or gone through it, did you run into the uh, sum product function? It's just really good for doing this one thing in here, but I'll get to that in a minute. But let me uh, do the markets here. We had, of course, over the weekend, the, the big uh, shocker, uh, well, it was kind of a shock, was OPEC announcing that they were going to cut production of oil. Supply of oil goes down, price goes up. So that caused all kinds of excitement. And it, it, as you can see, it didn't crash the market. It suppressed the enthusiasm, shall we say, of the market. Uh, you notice that the Dow is still did, is doing okay today. It's up three quarters of a percent. But the S&P 500 is pretty much flat, down 0.03%. That's the same as saying nothing. But the NASDAQ has taken a butt beating. It's down uh, almost a full percent. So there's a sensitivity to this kind of news that is tilted against smaller companies. The small caps took it on the chin, but it, wasn't, it still wasn't anything like a black swan. Now, if you look over here, crude, has broken through the upper limit of the band that it had been in, 72 to 79, and it's climbed to 80.50. Take the bad news with a little grain of salt because there are times when OPEC will send a message, the oil producing and exporting countries will send a message, we're going to cut production. And what they do is, of course, that causes the prices to rise per barrel. But once those prices get up there, all of these OPEC nations, they start cheating because the price is so high, they can't help it. They want to sell more oil. And then a couple of the smaller ones start selling more oil. Then the bigger ones say, the hell with that. And then the uh, production cuts go away because everyone's trying to scramble to make more money off the higher prices. They collectively cause the prices to fall. So I wouldn't sweat it too much now. Notice that crude didn't skyrocket to $100 a barrel or anything like that. It pushed its way up a, a fair amount, but nothing spectacular. 
<coughs> so not quite the doomsday scenario some are talking about. Although it may tip us toward a recession, I, I should say that. Now notice that gold has made a little bit of a run because there's a little more chance with these higher oil prices that we'll get recessionary pressure. So the gold bugs have had a little bit of fun. Now, interestingly, the uh, euro versus the dollar. It's right now, a euro, uh, euro costs a one dollar and almost nine cents. But interestingly enough, there seems to be a wall there around 109. The uh, dollar is weakening against the euro, but it seems to keep having this. That you keep saying, "Well, it's going to reach a dollar ten, dollar twelve. It doesn't seem to have much taste for getting above a dollar nine. So there may be a, sort of a neckline there that they don't want to cross. The yields, yields on bonds, ten-year benchmark bond. The yield is down, which means that the price is up. That means that there is buying of bonds. And that's, to some extent, if you look over here, there's a, there's a little bit of less than enthusiasm about equities right now. And that is probably the reason you're seeing some money flowing into bonds, driving their prices up, driving their yields down. That's the best you can explain it. That's the best you can say about it. And of course, we're also, the dollar is weakening against the pound sterling, uh, the British pound. So you got now, it's right now it costs $1.24 about for a, for a pound. But if you look, come on, really? How hard is it for this to actually do what I want? It's not going to. Sh it's not going to switch the screens. Darn it! Well, let's try another one. The euro. Ah, let's try a refresh the screen and see if I can get. Yeah, yeah. Yahoo is beginning to lose its steam right now. But anyway, interestingly, uh, Tokyo had a boost, but then it kind of rode out the rest of the day, which was the night here. And then in London, they had a boost, and then it just kind of bobbled there at the end a little bit, but nothing spectacular. Has has is the internet? Does the internet suck right now, or is it just Yahoo, or is it our Wi-Fi here? I can't tell. But one way or the other, ah, uh, good Lord. Okay, so. That's where we are right now, stocks. And uh, obviously, we can talk about certain things. Show you. Do not do what I'm doing. MRO, Mar Marathon Oil. It's, uh, this is its current screen. I took a risky position in MRO. I'm asking to get my butt kicked, but so far, you know, a one-day return of a... Uh, on $50 of another $50 isn't bad. But anyway, as you can see, oil stocks are doing well right now, not surprisingly. And uh, Coke, what is, I'm, I'm looking for, oh, ConocoPhillips, COP. Interestingly, Conoco, not, that's not what I wanted, I wanted Conoco. Try Conoco. Come on. C O N O. C 
ConocoPhillips, COP. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, see, the news, the information is flowing in and the equities are responding rapidly to that information. That's just how these markets work. They absorb the information rapidly, they put it into the prices, and they kick the prices up. Now notice, most of the action is already, has already finished. It's over for the day. And that's the way it often is. You s jump in a few hours after some news hits the wires, it's too late. See how the news actually was over here, and then it boosted in this area, and then there was a slight correction profit taking. The news is over. Oil prices went up, and so anything you, you can't profit from that news this long after. It's too late. And that's something that's important to know about any kind of news that you get. If it's public information, the Wall Street boys, all these people with their rapid computers and investing, the trusts, the brokerage houses, they've already gotten most of the profit. Doesn't mean that you can't buy in and make a few bucks, but the big uh, money has already absorbed the information and put it into the price of the stock. That's unfortunate, but that's how it is. Anyway, so that's that. Now, cost of capital. I'm going to write this on the board here. Okay. The topic of what we're doing this week is cost of capital. Now remember that capital is long-term funds. Capital is long-term funds. And the two major sources are debt and equity. A company can issue bonds. $20 million in 30-year bonds at a coupon of 8%, something like that. They can issue bonds. And that is borrowing money <coughs> for capital projects. And then there is equity. That's stock. Usually, it'll be common stock. And um, what was I thinking? Sometimes you can raise money through preferred stock, too. So that's a source of capital. But it's all equity. Raising money by selling ownership interest. Now, with debt... You're not selling ownership interest. You're selling a, a, a term of engagement. It's uh, the difference between going out on a few dates and getting married. Going out on a few dates, it's over with once you pay it off. When you're married, you're stuck forever. Uh, but So keep that in mind, that these have a fundamental difference in them. But companies, most companies have a combination of these. Some of their total, remember, debt plus equity equals total assets. I might even put that here. Debt plus equity equals total assets, which I'm sure you saw in your accounting courses. You've seen it in this course. The total assets are, there is a combination of these. When we talk about capital structure, 
capital structure. That is the combination of debt and equity that comprises total assets. A company's capital structure is the combination of debt and equity that comprises capital structure. The combination of debt and equity that comprises capital structure. Is that total assets? And that is what comprises the total assets of a firm. Every firm has a capital structure. Now, almost any firm that is worth anything has a deliberate capital structure. It doesn't come out like, oh, well, looks like we, huh, wow, we've got 20% debt and 80% equity. It's not like that. They aim at a specific capital structure. And it's not just that they aim at it, they have to maintain it. Because these two components can actually change their orientation without you doing anything. Think about it this way. A company would say, all right, we want 25% debt, 75% equity. Okay, well what happens if the company gets, is profitable? Every year, there will be funds flowing into retained earnings, equity. Positive net income, it becomes more equity. So on its own, the profitable company is going away from its desired capital structure because its equity will build up. The same is true in a debt. You pay off a long-term bond, it's over. And then suddenly, your debt percentage goes down. And you've whacked your capital structure. I any way you cut it, this is something that you have to watch out for. I saw a, a, a prospectus, that selling document for an offering of stock. It, this was a seasoned offering. The company had been public, and it was just issuing some new common stock. And it said right in the prospectus, we don't really need this money, but we're issuing stock to get our capital structure back to where we want it. Uh, in other words, they deliberately were issuing stock because their debt was too high in the capital structure. And sometimes companies will have it happen the other way. Their debt will jump. Uh, because they've taken on, they had to borrow money to do some big, big thing, and that wasn't a good idea because that sent their debt percentage up above where they wanted it relative to the equity percentage. <coughs> so this is a deliberate, and we'll talk about that later when, in what we call optimal capital structure. But I'm not going to get into that right this second. But there is a problem here. As a rule, debt is cheaper than equity. Debt is cheaper than equity. The cost of debt capital is cheaper than the cost of equity capital. On Wednesday, you'll see how wild that can be. You can have the debt cost of debt, something like after-tax cost of debt, something like 5%, 
and the cost of equity 20%. Equity is expensive. And what's even worse is new equity is even more expensive than your existing equity. And that's the next point. Your the company's equity, its stock outstanding, is a cost, which is very difficult for people who are not in, uh, have, who do not have higher education in finance to understand that the very existence of your shareholders is a cost. The very existence of your shareholders is a cost. So that common stock outstanding is a cost to the company. And it is a major cost to the company. A corporation, think of it this way. A corporation makes a profit, for lack of a better term. That profit is owed to the shareholders. They expect a return on that profit. The corporation does, can't just collect that and say, well, we can use it if we want. We don't have to if we don't want law. No. The shareholders are going to place an expectation on that company. That money is theirs. That net income, that belongs to them. So that net income is not, in our world, a profit, it's a cost. And the more of it we make, the more the cost. Which sounds really weird, but that's the way it is. You, sir, you own an ugly car. And it is, I've seen it. Okay. But somehow, someone says, this is a classic, and it goes crazy. The price goes up. No, I'm going to still drive my car around. Got for 300. No, that that car isn't 300. Every day that you keep that car, let's say that it's now valued at 35,000. Every day you keep it, you are foregoing 35,000 dollars. Owning is the cost, it has an opportunity cost. If it's low, who cares? But if it gets high, oh, you care a lot. Many years ago, there was a couple of academic slash industry types, um, their, their names were Modigliani and Miller. They threw out a question to the finance professionals and academics and industry people. They said, if debt is cheaper than equity, why would a company ever have equity? Debt is cheaper than equity for two reasons. Debt, first of all, the interest is tax deductible. You subtract how much you pay in interest expense before you calculate taxes. That's sure not true of dividends. You get your tax bill and then if there's money left, you decide if you got enough for a dividend. And even worse than that, then when your shareholders get those dividends, they have to pay. 
So that's one reason, and there's another reason debt is cheaper than equity. Debt is safer because it has the prior claim on the cash flows. So there are two big reasons why debt is cheaper than equity. The prior claim on cash flows of the corporation. Debt is unquestionably cheaper. <coughs> okay. So the question is, why would a company ever issue common stock or prefer well any stock? If debt is always cheaper is cheaper than equity, if I were to look at this, the weighted average cost of capital, in its simplest form, the weight of debt times the cost of debt after taxes plus the weight of equity times the cost of equity. That's weighted average cost of capital for a firm, the WAC. Well, if I were to draw a graph with weighted average cost of capital on the vertical axis and the percent of debt, the percent of debt in the capital structure, If all I were to use was equity, in other words, 0% debt, then the weighted average cost of capital would be nothing but, there would be a zero there, so it'd just be the cost of equity. As I start to add debt, which is cheaper than equity, This line falls until, if I get to 100% debt, then the weighted average cost of capital to the company is the after-tax cost of debt. It's a straight line down. The more debt you use, the cheaper the weighted average cost of capital. See, if I use all debt, then the weight of equity is zero, and all you've got is 100% of RATD. So, a capital structure of a company logically should be 100% debt because that's the cheapest weighted average cost of capital. <coughs> so why is it not, why don't we see all companies 100% debt, all corporations 100% debt? Well, the key is this, and I'll tell you a story. Uh, this is from my own, uh, from my own uh, company. Every year, I do a floor plan borrowing. In other words, I borrow in early months of a year, and then I build my inventory, get all my nice stuff together, replace any equipment that needs to be built up. And then as the seasons, later spring, summer, early fall, I make money and I pay off what I owe to the bank. They, we used to call this a revolving line of credit. 
It's also sometimes called the floor plan. A lot of companies do this, like uh, some car dealerships, furniture stores, boat dealers. They'll borrow a lot of money to put stuff on the floor, and then as they sell it through the year, they then pay off the debt. And so it's, it's just a common thing. Well, in the case of my company, this year, I think these numbers were from this year. Okay, the, uh, the uh, bank that I work with, the credit union, I should say, it, for the first $5,000, I'll pay 8.99%. For $5,001 through $12,000, I pay 12.99%. For any money I borrow above that, I pay 19.99%. So in other words, the more money I borrow at the margin, the higher my cost of debt gets. This is how all companies work, simply because the more money you borrow, the greater the risk that your earnings before interest and taxes is not going to be enough to pay the interest expense. So in other words, debt is not just a single cost. Debt goes up in cost as you borrow, a company borrows more money. And so that's why some years back, Netflix would have been able to borrow money at a very attractive interest rate. But now, when Netflix borrows money, it is at risk of not being able to pay it back. That's why these last bonds that Netflix issued were junk bonds, high coupon, simply because the investors say there's a greater risk of default. Yeah, it was easy when all you had to pay was a couple of million dollars, but now that you're borrowing so much that you've got to pay a whopping amount, you might not have the uh, operating income, the earnings before interest and taxes, to pay it. So that's why debt is not as simple as just a single amount. What that means is that the weighted average cost of capital line is not a line at all. It starts out, if all you use is equity, then your cost of weighted average cost of capital is R sub E. And then as you borrow money, it does begin to fall because your cost of debt is cheaper than equity. But there comes a point where your percentage of debt in the capital structure gets sufficiently high that you start paying higher and higher interest rates on your debt to the point where if you were a fully leveraged 100% debt firm, you'd pay a huge, you'd have a very large cost of debt. The lenders would say, oh, we're gonna charge you out the ass because you're pure debt. You've gotta come up with an awful lot of money to pay your debt bill. So a, an actual weighted average cost of capital curve is shaped like this. And therein lies what I talked about before. There is a bottoming out point on the weighted average cost of capital curve. There's a combination of debt and equity 
that minimizes the weighted average cost of capital. We call this the optimal capital structure. The optimal capital structure. The optimal capital structure is a combination of debt and equity that minimizes the weighted average cost of capital. The optimal capital structure is the combination of debt and equity that minimizes the weighted average cost of capital. The weighted average, uh, the optimal capital structure is the combination of debt and equity that minimizes the weighted average cost of capital. That's what I was talking about before. Sometimes companies, well, this will drift. I mean, it's not going to stay where it is. So a company might, so for example, if a company makes a lot of profit, then the amount, the percent of equity compared to debt will begin to drift this way, less debt. And so they would have to rebalance it by issuing equity to get back. I'm sorry, by issuing debt to get back. On the other hand, sometimes a company will just go on a borrowing spree and it will end up over here. The percent of debt compared to equity will be too high. And then they would have to issue stock to get back. That war, they're not going to wait, but this is actually an active exercise. One of the odd things is that if we look at real life company industries, we'll see industries tend to have, within an industry, the companies will tend to have similar optimal capital structures. The reasons for that are, you know, kind of speculative. But we'll see some uh, industries where the uh, percent of debt bottoms out fairly quickly. You don't want to borrow too much. Others, about half and half. 50% debt, 50% equity. It's what we see from the data. And then there are some where they are heavily leveraged. Their percent of debt is very large compared to the percent of equity. And again, it tends to fall into patterns within an industry, <coughs> across industries. But and in, in a lot of cases, we understand, okay, this is an industry where, like that last one there, where they can afford high leverage, very low, little amount of ownership capital, very high amounts of borrowing. Those tend to be companies that have very high operating incomes and they can afford to pull a lot, they can afford to have a lot of debt, therefore pay a lot of interest and still be okay. Other ones, nah, they have to have a lot of equity in there. In the case, if, uh, from the data that I've collected on my own company, I am very similar to that first one right there. The amount of debt has to be very low compared to the amount of equity, simply because my operating income fluctuates so much 
I can't afford to end up having more to pay in interest than I have, so I keep my debt level very low, comparatively speaking. <coughs> okay, you have a quiz that's opening up right about now. Other than that, that's all I have for you today. I thank you. <laughs>